Lonesome Crowded Quest's cantankerous crew filters no speech, reigns in no deeds. We rouse rabble, and we make even grown elves blush. See our episode descriptions for content warnings. Mature listenership advised. Episode 4, Esh Mails a Letter, Part 1. In response to the labor uprising, warships have sailed into New Lichfield from the neighboring colony of Mercia. Meanwhile, the gang find themselves on a train speeding in the opposite direction, having escaped the now deceased governor's fortress thanks to a mysterious contact of Esh the Maris. Clutch, Esh, and Josephine now look to the lights of a new city, and they hope new opportunities to spend their recently acquired cash. of the ramparts of the great black citadel which rises over the city of Hereford. Bullets whiz past you, fired from the soldiers that are running as hard as they can across the garden to you. Below you, you see the train winding its way along the side of the citadel on the tracks above the city streets that lead to the ocean I am going to need you all to make acrobatics checks or athletics checks, depending on which one you want to do. 22! Aha! That's going to be a 14. 11. As it's coming, as it's coming, you hear him whisper in your ear, Ash. You do everything as he says, landing, rolling, catching yourself on your feet, and grabbing your balance just barely as the train rushes by with you on the roof of the car. Unfortunately... Your other two companions hit the roof of the car and roll, the train itself moving too fast to catch hold, and they fall backwards, just barely grabbing the roof of the train to stop themselves from falling. Both of you need to make athletics or acrobatics checks one more time to pull yourself up or you will fall down to the street. There we go. That's a 26. Yeah, you grab the roof of the train and pull yourself up. What about you, Clutch? Spicy 23. Oh, you both grab the train, pulling yourself up. And you turn around just in time to see several soldiers jump onto the roof after you. Two are going to fall similar to you guys and have to make saves to catch themselves. Both of them are going to immediately roll off and fall to the ground. The last one, however, lands squarely on the train roof with a thud and then rises up. She is Huge, six foot plus of mostly muscle, bursting out of her green uniform. A wicked scar runs the length of her harsh face, and her eyes are squinted in black. She holds aloft a long, brutal looking curved sword. You are under arrest. Give up now. Or die. I don't 
roll for initiative, everyone. I had a 21. 12. Big old fat seven. All right, there you guys are, top of the speeding train, as it rattles and you try to keep balance. Josephine, it's your turn. Holy shit. Uh, okay, I would like to propose a third option. Why don't we all just sit down, we can talk this out, maybe over a glass of wine. Ah! I will draw my saber in a quick, smooth motion and make my attack. That is a 21 to hit. Ooh, that hits. That'll be 10 damage. Your misdirection surprises her. You get under her guard, and for a second, you almost end the fight right there. But she's a little too fast. She's able to knock your sword out of the way just at the last second, and it slashes into her arm. Blood dribbles down to her sleeve, and she grips it with her other hand, grimacing, but she still advances. It is now the soldier's turn. The first roll is going to be a natural 20 for a critical hit. She advances on you, her steel flashing with incredible speed as you quickly exchange blows. Suddenly she drops her sword, grabs your wrist, and seizes your waist with her other hand, lifts you up, and throws you from the train. You are just barely able to grab the side on your way down, holding on for dear life, dangling from the edge of the train as it hurtles towards the ocean. You take 14 points of damage. For her second attack, she walks over to you as you are dangling from the side of the train car. I guess you chose to die then, and she takes her sword and thrusts down at you. She is going to make an attack and miss. Since she missed her attack, I would like to use my repost ability that allows me to make an attack of my own when someone misses an attack on me. That would be a non-natural 20 to hit. That hits. That's going to be nine points of damage as I knock her blade away with my saber and then toss my own sword up onto the top of the train. I seize her by the belt and pull myself up, pulling her face down into the top of the train as I clamber over her, scrambling to get back onto the train and grab my saber before it skitters off the other edge. I stand up and whip around. Still looking for that third option, actually. All right, it is now Clutch's turn. Itching to make quick work of this situation, I open my mouth, raking two of my nails along my soft inner cheek, collecting thimbles full of blood in the well of my talons. I unstrap both of my revolvers from my chest harness, and as I hook my fingers into the familiar trigger guards, blood drips down the grips, and I cast Hail of Thorns and aim to kill. All right. I say the first hit doesn't land, which would be a six. Yep. But given my second strike, 11 to hit. Nope, not even close. Oh, God. You fire your revolvers trying to use your magic, but you're on the back of a fucking moving train trying to balance on the roof, hurtling out of the city. The shots both go easily wide. Esh, it is your turn. I'm going to look up at this lady who's causing my compatriots so much difficulty. I'm going to close my eyes, spit out a little bit of blood, and I'm just going to start whispering, and I'm going to take my fingers and mesh them, and it looks like I'm throttling an invisible neck, and I'm going to cast Hold Person on her. So she needs to make a wisdom save. That is a 12 to save. That does not pass my spell save, DC. She gets paralyzed for a minute. She can make a save at the end of each of her turns, but otherwise, her juice is cooked. 
Josephine, it is your turn. Yeah, I'm gonna look up, see that she's paralyzed, and then I will turn around with the hilt of my sword and try and just knock her out. Yeah, roll with advantage, and it's an auto crit. 14. That hits? That's going to be 14 points of damage. You whip her across the face with the pommel of your sword. Your crack and blood runs down her forehead. But her expression does not change, and it's not just the magic. What the fuck is wrong with you? Oh no, does she automatically fail dex checks? Yes, she does. Speaking of which, all of you guys need to make dex saving throws. 13. 23. I rolled a 1. The train abruptly leaves land. The bridge is now spanning over the great strait between the city of Lyon and New Litchfield, rising up 30, 40, 50 feet above the ocean as it laps against the poles holding the bridge up. Sea wind suddenly rushes across the top of the cars and you guys are buffeted and almost fall. Unfortunately, the woman immediately gets knocked off, unable to save herself and plummets towards the ocean. Esh, the wind also catches you, pulling you off the car. Arms flailing as I go backwards off the train. Uh, I'm gonna spend a bonus action to cast Misty Step back into the train car. All right, as you fall down, you cast Misty Step and appear inside the train. You're on a dark car filled with what looks like goods of some kind, and you can hear people rattling around on the top. The other two, you look down and see her bobbing up and down in the water. I'm not a complete monster, so I release my whole person spell so she doesn't drown. I'll wave goodbye to the woman bobbing in the water as the train speeds away. Look at that. Option number three. Clutch and Josephine, you sit on the edge of the boxcar, the chilly night air rushing past you, feeling cool and pleasant on your skin. In front of you, even at this time of night, the city of Lyon is lit up with many multicolored lights. Behind you, you can see the fires burning in New Litchfield. And below you, you see many small lights moving across the water. Ships. Huge ships. They can only be one thing. Warships coming from Lyon to New Litchfield. As the train reaches land, it grinds to a stop at a station right on the water. Once the train has come to a halt, I'll look over a clutch, shrug, and slide off the top of the car, and then try and slip into the shadows. I return a knowing nod to Josephine and slink down off the train in kind. Hearing your footsteps fall, I push open the heavy train car door and tumble out undexterously. As you make your clandestine escape, you look to your right and see all the way at the end of the platform, all of the station workers standing there, their backs to you, gazing out over the water to the fires burning in New Litchfield. You quickly and quietly head down the stairs of the station and onto the street. Why don't we find a place to rest for the night? I think that's a good idea. Yeah, I'm tired. Yeah, what, what hour is it? It's one, two? Too late is what hour it is. Where's my bed? 
You would know that there are several different hotels and hostels in the city. What kind are you looking for specifically? Something nondescript. Something that can house all three of us in a singular room. Somewhere with a bed. Somewhere safe enough to keep a few gold bars. You head down the street looking for a good place to stay. The city itself is still quite alive, even at this time of night. You pass bars with people drinking and laughing in the windows. Up above you, the floating lights that you saw from the train are now clear. Large glowing balls of light hanging in the air, magically suspended. They are illuminating buildings covered with different color plaster, giving the city a rainbow light. After a little while, you reach a small, unassuming building, right up against two more larger ones. Hanging above the doorway is a rusty sign that creaks on its hinges, the Royal Inn. A small, little magical light sits in the window, illuminating a cozy interior. Looks inconspicuous enough. I'm already headed in the door. You walk through the door and into the hotel. This is a small, cozy little room with armchairs put around a fireplace in one corner and a desk with a mopey-looking young man with greasy black hair and pale skin. He's sitting behind the counter reading a book. On the far side, you can see doors leading to other parts of the hotel. Welcome to the Royal Hotel. Hey there, partner. Uh, Sorry to... uh interrupt your late night reading but I was hoping I could secure a room for uh, me and my two associates of course I'm just going to need uh, for three beds it's going to be $35 and uh, I'm going to need a name please on that yeah um, that's going to be Hans Thingland alright Mr. Dingland and uh, here's going to be your key Thingland that's what I said Dingland anyway here's going to be your key is there anything else I can do to make your stay comfortable? Well, I uh, suppose my associates are rather tired, but I actually have a couple of questions for you. And I'm going to reach up on my tiptoes, grab the keys off the desk, hand them back to my counterparts, and uh, give them a knowing wink saying I'll be up in a few. I grab the keys, roll my eyes, and head upstairs. Mr. Dinglin, do you require medical assistance? Um, I'm... Unsure. Oh, 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 no, I, I'm, I'm fine. It's, I, I fell off a horse. It's been a long night. We were supposed to get in earlier. It's, it's been a terrible ordeal of it. I, I know I must look terrible, but I, I swear I, I, I am fine. And, and please, call me Hans. Um, now, I have... Of course, Hans. I apologize. I'm sure the horse is very dangerous to have apparently gorged you, but I'm glad you're okay. I won't be calling the hospital then. Is there anything else? Yeah, I... It's just a simple matter. We're, we're new to town, and um, in the morning, I'm going to be in need of uh, the local post. I, I, I have a package to send. Where, where where would a man go to send a package if he had to? That will be in Bamford Square, right in the middle of the city, around the bay. You cannot miss it. If, for some reason, you are unable to follow simple directions, there's another one all the way out, the East Road... In Taylor's Junction. That's where pretty much all mail goes through eventually. Thank you for your help, my fine friend. You condescend like a fine cumulus. Is there anything else? Um, I suppose I shall be on my way. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. Travis. 
Thank you for choosing the Royal Inn, and have a wonderful stay. Your hospitality has given me every confidence. I roll my eyes at him and walk away upstairs. Esh, you head upstairs and find the others in a small room with three beds jammed in and a not too grimy window overlooking the street. I'm going to take the pack and stow it beneath my bunk, leaving caltrops around the edges, rope sort of fastidiously tied all along, you know, from the rungs of the base to the floor, just, you know, leaving essentially a bizarre homemade trap or notification device, should anyone who's not us go for it. All right. That sounds good. I I don't need a skill check for that. I suppose I could say something about a dragon preparing their horde. I don't think, I hope that's not insensitive. I mean, this looks phenomenal. I'll have none of that from either of you. I just spent a lot of time following both of you around, and I am tired. I sleepily punched Josephine in the thigh. Paranoid. Jeez. I'm sorry, Clutch. The tiredness is getting the best of me. You all curl up in your fairly comfortable beds, and after the day you've just had, sleep quickly washes over you. The sun shining awakes you the next morning, streaming in the window from the bustling street. Before the sun is even up, I'm awake, undoing my trap and assessing our hall. At this point, you'd probably all be waking up to the sound of tapping metal. Really, Clutch? You have to do that right now? We couldn't sleep, like, a little bit? Longer? You didn't have all day to count the fucking money? Josephine, Josephine, we're wealthy enough we could buy a hotel right now. I think we can sacrifice a couple minutes of sleep, but also point taken. Whoa, that is a lot of gold bars. How, how, Clutch, how, how many did we make out with? Damn. About 20, 20 gold bars, which I think brings us to roughly a million dollars. Holy shit. That is a lot of money. Yeah, about about six of these for each of us. Not bad. Uh, main problem being, it's in gold. We can't spend gold. We need to get some dollars. We need to find a fence. Yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely a priority. Uh, however, I actually um, really can pay my debts in straight gold. Uh, so, you could at least done... Ash, I think you're really just still confused on this whole gold thing. We don't use gold anymore no, 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 no. up here. Yes. Okay. You guys don't use gold. I don't use gold here. My money is not exactly staying in the colonies. I'm sending it far. and They take most currencies, actually. Who the fuck are you in debt to? Yeah, you know what? That is a very good point. There's about what? Six for each of us, so sure. We'll only fence the twelve, but who are you paying in gold, Esh? Is it possibly the person you were talking to who seemed to have an absurd amount of insight into the layout of that castle and the goings-on of the actual government inside? Are you paying them with the gold? Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I get that it doesn't have necessarily the best optics. I mean, okay, so... uh. 
no, that's not who I was paying. I, I was talking to a very <clears throat> special friend of mine with a lot of extra information. And no, I, I did not. I'm not paying him with these six bars of gold. Uh, it's not really the kind of uh, price that that is. I, uh, I look, I, I'm not special. I'm not. I wasn't born this way. I didn't. I don't pray to any god. I get my powers. I'm a warlock. I get my powers from a deal. And that deal, I've already paid for. It's, it's my eternal soul. Uh, so I was, yeah, I think you get it, right? I was talking to a, a, a devil. He, yeah. The gold, however, is going to another debt and another problem I have to deal with. See, my husband and his kid are uh, currently being held by people who you do not want to miss a payment for. Uh, in protection, in protective custody, uh, and they accept payment in gold because it's not exactly above board. All right. It's at this point in the post-scheme discussion that we take some time to just lay out the precedent that any information that might keep us alive or determine the success of our ultimate job actually be presented at the beginning of the planning. So, when you said you had a contact, I think that could have been the point to bring this up. Now, also, that makes vastly more sense as to why we have not ever met your husband and your kid, whom you uh, bring up quite frequently, but at this point, I was uh, I was thinking... Oh, yeah, no, totally thought they were fake. Yeah, they're, it's not that I have a husband in another town. I mean, I, I, I do, but it's not like he can just visit for the weekend. And yes, I am sorry. I should have made clear that my sources were mm, supernatural. Um, but I was kind of hoping that the whole plan would just kind of work, because that's usually what happens when I exchange a favor for information from Hez, but unfortunately things just didn't work out the way I was told they would. Oh god. Esh, I, uh, I have to ask a question I don't really want to ask, and I almost don't want to know the answer. That's okay. So if the answer is bad, honestly, just... <sighs> no. I have to know. Esh, are you involving us? Is, is our... Are we embedding ourselves whoa, 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 whoa. into this uh, soul dead no, no, situation, no, 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 no. or is that just... No, 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 trust me. If we were, we'd be getting a whole lot more out of the bargain. It's only my immortal soul on the chopping block. Well, and uh, that's great to know. Uh, it sure is. That whole thing, by the way, Ash, colossally stupid, and you are totally fucked, if I can just say so. But... Seems like it's just an Ash problem, and Clutch, you and I, we're good. So, we are getting off track. What we actually need to be talking about is what to do with this gold. This is so hot right now. We can't fence it here. All right? We just stole it literally like a 10-minute train right away. We have to get out of town before we can fence this shit. Mm. That's a good point. We do. Unfortunately, I need to get to the post office. I can only go to the one in Bamford Square, our charismatic hotelier, Travis told us. But there's also one in Taylor's Junction if we need to get a little further out of town. Maybe we can find a fence somewhere between right, here well, and there. Let's pack up our stuff. Let's get you to the post office, Ash, and then let's head out of town. And we'll just hit places until we find somewhere that we can get rid of this gold so we can spend it and have a great time. Uh, and Ash, you can continue to, I don't know, 
get fucked by some supernatural being. Oh, okay. Uh, second on the supernatural fuck sesh, but <sighs> Josephine, I don't want to have to remind you at this point, but I just, I just, I'm just going to say it just to cover our bases. We don't spend the money within a week of the job. Okay, we have a one-week cool-off time minimum, so let's get this fenced, and let's luxuriate in the appropriate time. And in the appropriate place. Also, might I add, while we are doing this fencing, we're going to remain under the radar. That's a disguise for me, it's a disguise for Clutch, and Josephine, I know you love your hat. Ash. We have to be careful. I'm always careful. And besides, you're the one who got us into this mess, so I can do what I want. Yeah, and and nobody knows our faces at this point. I think we're just fine. Okay, I know, I know, I know. I, dealing with the supernatural makes it paranoid, guys. I'm sorry. That's why I don't do it. All right, let's pack it up. Let's go. Clutch, you're carrying mine, right? Good, thanks. Ash, do you want, do you want your six? Yeah, I might as well take them. I hand them over reluctantly. I'll begrudgingly start strapping them into my chest. They are heavy, but you aren't carrying a lot of stuff with you. Just two pairs of very fancy clothes and essentially nothing else. You head down out of your room, through the common room, and out onto the street. The hot sun blazes down on you, illuminating the colorful plaster buildings you saw the night before. But now the street is filled with people. The street is lined with restaurants, shops, and stalls all packed. You see various vendors using petty magic to impress their customers and entice them into buying their trinkets and their wares. You see gigantic art studios, their doors thrown open with their dwarven proprietors standing proudly next to paintings and stone sculptures. You see elves walking down the center of the street, their nose upturned as they glower down at everybody around them. You even see a hobgoblin his slate gray skin and yellow eyes, inches away from a man wearing very official-looking uniforms that looks like he would rather be anywhere else. You follow the roads towards the center of the city and toward Bamford Square. As you get closer and closer, the streets become much more congested with throngs of people. There's an edge to the crowd. They all seem to be whispering talking to each other in hushed tones, looking around as you continue trying to get closer and closer to your target. It gets harder and harder to get through the street, through the mass of people. Finally, you enter the square itself, a big pentagonal open space, and it is packed full with people. You push through as far as you can, but about partway into this huge open square, you run up against a wall of people that you cannot pass. Not fast, anyway. Around you, you see these big buildings that are clearly state buildings, buildings meant for government. You can see rows of high-end shops on the other side, and in the middle, rising up above you is a pentagonal tower, the top open to the sun. As you try to get around the people, turning to try to get to another direction, silence falls over the crowd. They're all looking up, up at the tower. You look up and you see a figure, several figures in fact, appear there, dressed in these bright blue uniforms, armed to the teeth, and a man in the second most exquisite finery you have ever seen, second only 
to Josephine, steps up to the front, pointed at you. He has a square jaw, cindy graying hair, and a kind of pinkish skin that buckles under the light. My fellow Mercians, today is a day of great tragedy, a dark day, a day that will be a blight on our memories for the rest of our time. In the early morning, before dawn's first light, tragedy struck our sister city and our sister colony of New Litchfield. Now it's a day of sadness, it's a day of hurt, a day of sorrow, one that will live forever in our memories. Rioters, revolutionaries, destroyed property, destroyed businesses, and destroyed lives in our great sister city. Now this is heartbreaking as it is, but the news I have is far more terrible. Some of these rioters led by a contingency of dubious individuals, broke into the governor's manor and shot him 48 times in the back. Well, that seems gratuitous. As he tried to flee. Excellent narrative, though. I would like to ask for a moment, if I may, of silence for his family and for our families at home, that we are just thankful are safe. Glancing surreptitiously at the people around me, I will remove my hat and bow my head for the moment of silence. Now, it is time for us to come together. It is time for us to heal wounds. And saying as such, I will endeavor to do the same. Who does this man think he is? Now, I will be taking over as temporary governor of Hereford to ensure a peaceful transition of power and to make sure that any of the revolutionaries who would come over here to destroy your business and your properties and your livelihoods are brought to justice. Speaking of justice, I know that you are calling for justice and some of you may even be calling for vengeance. And I don't blame you, but would just like to ask you and your heart to find room for forgiveness, for empathy, and for understanding. Because these people were not led to these choices on their own accord. No, they were convinced. They were conspired against. They were influenced. They were corrupted by others, anarchists have invaded every aspect of society, even those simple folk hoping for a better life. Now, there were concerns by the people about wages, and these are fair concerns. And people have a right to have them. But they were agitators, anarchists, unionists, acting in bad faith. Now, I have caught five people who stormed the gates of the late governor's manor just last night. And after talking to them, I believe that they were coerced. I know, good people, you don't believe it, but I, I do. I strongly believe that they were coerced, wrongly influenced, pressured by external dubious forces to do these terrible things. Oh, I do not like where this is going. Like you said, Clutch, they don't know what we look like. We don't have to worry. The man speaking beckons to someone out of view, and another man is dragged up 
in chains and rags, you recognize this man. He was with you when you breached the walls last night. He was one of those that you told to go create a distraction. Okay, what's your name? Bill. Bill, you say you were coerced. That's right, sir. You were pressured. Of course, sir. Well, so much for solidarity, brothers. And you're remorseful. Incredibly, sir. Good, good. See, my fellow Mercians, now I see you are a little shaken, I see you are upset, and you want justice. But this is not how we get justice. These people, poor Bill, he's an innocent bystander. We need to bring to justice the people who have forced, coerced innocent people like Bill. And we have talked to them others that we found, and we believe that we know who arranged this attempted revolution and who directly murdered the governor. Behold, your anarchists. And with that, huge banners all around the square unfurl from the tops of their buildings, coming down the rest almost on the ground, and on all of them, drawn with incredible likeness are your three faces plastered everywhere. There's a gasp in the crowd. Then a guy right next to you just kind of turns and... Hold on. They're right there! May the road go on forever and may the horizon never come. Lonesome Crowded Quest is Peter Howells, the Dungeon Master, C.L. Giordano as Clutch, Bailey Paw as Josephine Clearwater, and Bjorn Peterson as Eshthamari Himmelblau. Campaign and world design by Peter Howell and Bailey Paw. Score and main themes by Bailey Paw, with additional music by Peter Howell and Bjorn Peterson. Project management by C.L. Giordano. Editing, production, and graphics by Bjorn Peterson. Opening narration by Jay Peterson. If you want to support the project, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash lonesomecrowdedquest. Patreon is a crowdfunding platform where you can support creators with monthly donations at a range of different levels. Hell, maybe we'll even make some tote bags like the old public radio dates. We have a wonderful array of Patreon rewards from adventure packs and dungeon master advice to blog posts and live play sessions, and even a few extra special slots where you can have us fully score your own D&D campaign. And the more support we get, the more bonus rewards we can provide. Plus, you can join the ranks of people like Mary E. Bryant, Ian Howell, Maggie, Cooper Smallage, Scott Howell, Katie Taylor, Jay Peterson, Jeff Holland, Benjamin Miller, Marissa Fisher, and Steven Salois, and get your name mentioned at the end of the show. Stay tuned for our next episode, Esh Mails a Letter, Part 2.